this morning um, we're talking about clarity. And honestly, when I think about clarity, often I heard it in the, the realm of knowing God's will for my life. Has anyone ever asked, what is God's will for my life? I know I have several times, and I've, and I've really come to understand why, but the Lord has really laid on my heart this idea, and this kind of this, my message is you don't have to know every detail of God's will if you are confident in God's word. So often with clarity, when we're praying for clarity, we really want to know what God wants in this moment, and, but I just want to tell you that you don't have to know every detail of God's will if you are confident in his word. And so if that raises some objections to you, like I understand I have significant questions that I deal with that I don't have answers for. I have personal issues. I have parenting problems, ministry dilemmas, financial predicaments, namely my truck. Um, some are massively important, and I'm not sure what to do. And this can tempt me to fear. I've prayed about a lot of these things, and I still don't have an answer. Clarity has not come. So the question I want to throw out this morning is, what do we do if we don't have clarity? What do we do if we can't see? What do we do and how do we live by faith? And we're told in Scripture that we walk by faith and not by sight. Because honestly, this is what the Lord wants from us. He wants us, that he says in Ephesians 2, 9, that we are saved by grace through faith, not by ourselves, so that no man can boast. So how do we walk in faith? Jesus says also, if, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, that you can move mountains. Anything you ask will be done. And so what God wants in response from us as followers of Jesus is faith. But how, does that, how do we even do that? Because if you were to define faith, it's trust and belief in him. And there's these, this idea, there's this essence of faith that I think so often that we don't want to live a life that doesn't need faith. We want to live a life that doesn't need faith. Like, for example, think of your prayers. Often what we're asking for is, God, give me things so that I don't have to depend on you. And we're asking and we're wanting things, not just for today, but for abundance. And because when we have an abundance, we don't spend time thanking God for what we do have and living in gratitude. And it all comes down to dependence on him. The things in our lives that, should be, that we should be the most thankful for are the things that make us depend on him. It's the hardships, it's the losses, it's the heartaches, the diagnosis, the job loss, the bank empty, those moments where we have to go to God. And some of us only go to, sorry, some of us only go to him in those moments. Thank you. All right. So there's these hardships, hardships that we walk through and we go through all the time, and some of us only go to him in those moments, like a Hail Mary play. And now you should do those in those moments, but what I'm wanting for you guys into this new year, this 2022, is rather turn to him in a pinch. I want you to walk in a life of dependence on him, walking alongside of him, not running out in front of him. Living a life of faith, not of sight. And honestly, I think it comes down to this idea of, it's not necessarily clarity we're after. It's control the situation we're not really asking God, hey, what do you want me to do? We're trying to control the situation. 
And we might quote 1 Corinthians 4.33. It says, God, we know you're not a God of confusion or chaos. And the spirit we have, we just want to know what's going on. We just want to, yeah, but yet God pauses to us and says, you don't have to see. I said, walk with me, and I'll tell you when you get there. And so in Hebrews chapter 11, we get to this passage, and that I really love Hebrews chapter 11, um, is this idea, it starts with now. And so this now phrase is like a transition into, now that I've said all this stuff, here's what's important. And what he does in Hebrews chapter 1 through 10, he really talks about this idea of who Jesus is and what he's done because of his substitutionary sacrifice that we can have life and have it everlasting and have it abundantly. And he talks about how he is greater than all of these other things. And he talks about this idea for us that since we have a Savior like Jesus, we can place our entire trust in him, not only for this life, but for eternity. And we get to chapter 11, and the author of Hebrews shifts here. He says, now faith is the reality, or you can put assurance, of what is hoped for. The proof or conviction of what is not seen. For by this, our ancestors were approved. And he pauses here to just go through and view. I'm not going to read three through seven, but I'm going to jump down to verse eight. But it says, by faith, we understand the universe was created. By faith, Abel. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Noah. He lists all these heroes of the faith. The Old Testament heroes of the faith were saved by faith, and they also lived by faith. But in verse eight, this is probably my favorite story in the Old Testament. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and set out for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he stayed. He stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents as did Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And then just another reminder, verse 13. These all died in faith, although they had not received the things that were promised to him, but they saw them from a distance, greeted them, and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. And so, God, I'm just praying for clarity here. I'm just wanting some assurance, some proof that you're working in my life. Can I just see what you're doing? God says, no. The reality and basis of your faith and my faith comes not from sight, but faith in what you cannot see. And all these people in chapter 11, if you don't have, if you get a chance to read all the way through it, you're going to see the author says that by their faith, they were made righteous, even though they never fully saw what God was going to do and what was promised to them. So again, you might be asking God for clarity and wondering what step you need to take, what direction you need to, to go to. And while, yes, we should pray for, to what to do, here's what the Lord taught me over the last couple of months that really forced me to change my prayer about faith, that God doesn't promise clarity. Now, he does give it. Let's be clear. He does give it. But it's not promised to us. Because we have a lot of stuff going on that we pray for that we don't know what God is doing, but yet we have to step out in faith and trust that he is working. So God doesn't promise clarity. There's a story 
about Professor John uh, Kavanoff, and he's in, uh, he goes overseas to serve the poor, and while he's over there, he's for there about a month, and he's really come to the decision where he's either going to go back to teach or he's going to stay and serve the poor. And uh, he doesn't really know what to do. He's been there for a month, and he's been thinking about it, and he's bumped into his friend. He said, man, I really don't know what to do. I wish I could talk to Mother Teresa. And so Mother Teresa is serving in Calcutta at this time. She's serving lepers. Um, and what's happening is maybe I can ask her what to do. Surely she'll have some wisdom for me. And so he calls her. He says, hey, I need help. I'm overseas serving the poor. I need to know if I need to go back to teaching or if I need to stay here and serve. I was asking if you could pray for me. She says, sure, what would you ask for? He said, I pray that I have clarity. And she says, no, I won't pray for that. And so he's taken, takes a step back. He's like, wait, 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 I've always assumed you've had clarity where you're at since you've been serving the, in Calcutta, the lepers, for all these years. And she says, no, I've never had any clarity on it. I woke up this morning in Calcutta with lepers next to me, and I will serve the lepers that come next to me. But the Lord could take me at any moment. And so you see this, he calls us to walk by faith, not by sight. He calls us to walk by faith, not by clarity. Because God rarely tells us what the next 12 months are going to look like. He rarely tells us, hey, this is what the five-year plan is going to be. And so you see this theme throughout Scripture of dependence on him all the time. And so... So the question I'm going to ask is how much do we live in dependence on God rather than pray for the things so that we don't have to depend on him? And, I, and look, I like to tend, this is not going to shock anybody, I don't like conflict, I don't like pain, and I don't like hardships. I don't know who likes that. And I realize that I try to get through those things as quickly as possible with the least amount of pain as possible. But then I've really had to stop myself as in these moments that God has proven faithful time and time and time again to me. Emmanuel, God with us. And so I want to be thankful when I'm in these moments and not wish them away because God is going to do something in and through me in those moments and I'm going to see and I'm going to feel closer to him. And so maybe you struggle with that. Maybe you struggle with this idea of dependence on the Lord and how do I actually walk by faith and not by sight. I struggle with that too. And we come here on the first Sunday of the, the year praying for and we're going to work through a vision series, but we don't know what 2022 is going to hold. But I do know this. He says walk by faith, not by sight. And so we're not going to forsake the main thing that this church is about is preaching of God's word. That is the the pillar of this church. So we're not going to forget that. We can fail at a lot of other things. We fail at that. We missed it. And so what I want us to understand about this idea of walking by faith as we're heading through this new year as a church is we're walking by it, but know this, Christians should live a stretched life. And it's normative to the fully devoted Father Jesus, but over the decade that I followed him, Jesus made something very clear to me in the scriptures, in the lives of faithful mentors, and my own stumbling experiences. Living in the will of God is more about knowing and trusting his promises rather than having clarity. It's more about resting in his sovereignty than wrestling with my doubt, my questions. 
and my wanting of answers. And so I had to come to a place, and like in Psalms 131, it says, Lord, my heart is not proud, my eyes are not haughty, I do not get involved with things too great or too wondrous for me. Instead, I have calmed my and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forever. And so I've learned to continue and continue to learn that embracing God's will for me largely consists in shifting my focus from my confidence to my understanding to what's going on and to why God is powerful, why he is sovereign, and why he is in control. Which goes back to what I said earlier. When we're praying about clarity, it's because we want some kind of control of what's hand. We want a hand on the steering wheel. And that really moves on to one of my points I have is our felt need is often not our fundamental need. So our felt need is often not our fundamental need. And as a result of the fall, uh, we all come into this world wildly and irrationally overconfident in ourselves. That can describe middle school peers, okay? Um, So about this time when I was in seventh grade, uh, I played basketball. Not very good at it. I just like playing. And so for Christmas, I had got a pair of Converse. Right, and so my I remember my dad, my dad, my dad graduated high school in '82, and so I remember my dad being like, "That was the only basketball shoe we had growing up," and uh, and so I remember at this time, I was like, "I'm gonna wear my Converse shoes to play basketball." I got those things right out of the box, and I, my, I had basketball shoes, but my dad was like. That's all we used to wear. And so I was like, well, I'm going to use these Converse. I'm going to play basketball. And except here's the thing about these Converse. And if you wore these, you know, they don't have really good soles in them. They are, you are flat-footed in Converse shoes. And so um, to prove my dad wrong, because I am wildly and irrationally overconfident in myself, he's like, you don't want to do that. I went ahead and did it. And so and then I went and played basketball, and I'm like, I should have listened to my dad. Because I had woke up with blisters all the way around my feet, and then like I couldn't walk straight, my feet were flat because I was overly confident in myself, in myself. And so, you know, all of us do that. Maybe you don't have, maybe you are overconfident in yourself at the end of the day, but we all do this in different areas of our life. And so um, our felt need often is not our fundamental need. And he puts us in this process to make us more like him. And, and for the purposes he has for us, because he knows living according to his will, our fundamental need is to take a huge loss of we got it and to rest it and trust in him. But this is usually not our felt need, is it? The need we typically feel is to know specifically what we're supposed to do and where we're supposed to go and how our needs will be provided for, why terrible things happen, and what we're seeking for when we're asking God for clarity is to hope to find in answers our certainty, insecurity, peace, or in our case, clarity. But due to our many limitations on every level, we struggle with this, and that God comes and understand this idea, but this is why Hudson Taylor advised to us, as followers of Jesus, make up your mind that God is an infinite sovereign, meaning he's in control, and has the right to do as he pleases with his own, And he may not explain to you a thousand things which may puzzle your reason in his dealings with you. So we have to come to a place the knowing that God is in control. We know what he's doing. And our fundamental need 
is to learn and trust that. Because through doing that, is we get the peace that surpasses all understanding. But how does God meet our need for clarity? How does he do that? God is most certainly not ignoring our need for peace. He has promised that, that we will experience peace through believing. Believing what? Believing, as Second Peter says, his precious and very great promises. And so um, this is what I mean when I say that we don't need to know God's will if we are confident in God's word. Because if we are knowing his word, we are hearing the voice of God. Sometimes people say, well, I haven't heard God speaking to me. I'd be like, well, have you read your Bible? And they'd be like, well, no. I was like, well, that's how God speaks to us. And so if we're confident in God's word, we don't need to worry about what's happening around us because when God's direction and purposes for us are unclear, his promises are always crystal clear. And God frequently calls us to stand in his promises and faithfulness in the murky, cloudy circumstances. Is that not the story of just about every Old Testament hero? Going back to Hebrews chapter 11, look at verse 32. Because it goes on to continue talking about even more of these heroes. And what more can I say? Time is too short for me to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets who, by faith, conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength in weakness, becoming mighty in battle, and put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead, raised to life again. That sounds pretty great. Other people were tortured not accepting release so they may be a better, gain a better resurrection. Others, verse 36, experienced mockings and scourgings as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they died by the sword, they wandered in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and on mountains, hiding in caves, holes in the ground, and all these were proved through their faith. But they did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that is Jesus. So that, I mean, they would not be made perfect without us. And so no matter how dark things may appear, how lonely, depressing, even hopeless things look, God always makes good on his promises. And did you feel the tension in those two passages there? Because if you read 32 to 30, first part of 36, you're going to think, oh, that sounds great. That sounds like cashing my check. That's the faith that I want. But you hear this tension in the last part of that, the 36 to 39, that if there's anything we can legitimately claim as Christians, it's this clear promises of God. We cannot claim it in our own terms or our own timing, but in good conscience, we can hold God to it because all of his promises are yes and amen and those who follow Christ. And I just, I just have one more thought about this idea of clarity, trust, and faith. Trust comes from relationships, from relationship, not trying harder. Trust comes from relationship, not trying harder. And as we read through the scripture, faith obviously is a dominant topic. And I understand that we receive God's gift of eternal life, not by religious performance, but by our faith in Jesus and his work on the cross. 
I'm also aware that the scriptures encourage me to walk not by faith, or not by sight, but by faith. And so looking back in my own journey with the Lord, my own walk with him, I really believed I had a distorted view of living by faith and what it, that truly meant. Because at times, I thought to myself, if I could just produce enough faith, then I knew my life could, would please God. If I could just muster up enough faith, then I could move mountains. If I could just continue to level up my faith, then God would do the things that I wanted him to do. And I was distorted in thinking that. But over the last several years of my life, I have come to view faith as something entirely different. I realized that a better concept of biblical faith could be captured by three words, confidence, trust, and reliance. In each of these three words, I had to come to understand that confidence, having faith in God, is not merely believing theological facts about him, but also making a commitment to follow and obey God. We are to live our lives with a confidence with God, in God. Trust, having faith in God, emphasizing that we have a personal trust in him because we believe him to be good and true. Even when the circumstances around us are dark, and we do not understand what is going on, we can still choose to put our trust in the heart of God because we believe him to be trustworthy. And then the third thing, reliance. Too much of my life spent trying to earn it, trying to work for it, and trying harder. But by putting our faith in God requires us throughout our lives to step out and take risks to follow Jesus. We can walk by faith rather than sight, not blindly, but by relying on him as our vision. And faith is not some internal willingness that I have to convince myself over and over is real. Faith is not something I try to pump into my life. Faith is not merely repeating something over and over. Faith is not just choosing to believe someone or something they say. Faith is trust, and trust is a relational word. Word. Wayne Jacobson states this, trust is the fruit of a relationship. The more I know someone, the more I know they love me. Trusting God comes from us walking in relationship with him. Out of our relationship with God, we come to believe God's loyal and fierce love for us and that God is entirely for us. Because in response to his affection to me, I choose to trust him because we see now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. Will you please stand with me? As we come to a close, I really want to focus on those last three words, confidence, trust, and reliance. And as the man makes her way up here, I often found myself relying too heavily on Mike in me, and I was too confident in myself. I was trusting that I would be okay because I could do better. And I was relying on everything in my own power. 
But I want to say, if you're a believer, you can have confidence, trust, and reliance, not in yourself, but in him. As we close, who I am today is not because of the works I did. It's not because I tried harder. It's because I came into an interaction with Jesus as my Savior, who died a death that I deserved, that I can put my whole confidence, all my trust in. I can rely completely on him. And so as we come into this time of response, we do know that God is loving. He died for you, that you may have life and have it abundantly. Let's pray. God, we love you and thank you for this time. And we pray as uh, we come into response that we know that the Spirit is moving and the Spirit is our helper, our advocate, and our friend. So God, I just pray that for anyone here who is struggling to know what uh, God is doing in their life, same. God, we do know that we can put our hope and trust God, if there's anyone who doesn't know you, the Spirit, you draw them because we will never have a better advocate or helper or friend or counselor in trying times than you. So God, go before us this year. Challenge us, convict us, and grow us into the church you want us to be in 2022. Amen.